1: You start to get your warning signs. You start to have some really scary injuries or moments, and that's when you need to say that's enough.
2: What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. You If you do exactly as I say,
1: no questions asked if you take my thoughts and you make them your own, I'll show you the way I'll give you what you crave, I'll transform you, I'll rename you. I'll teach you power over fear. I'll take you places you never imagined. But if you choose to follow me, I'm going to need something from you.
2: How are you doing? Tom, what's up? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Gotta congratulate you on your forthcoming induction into the GCW Deathmatch Hall of Fame. How did that, all that come about then, Nick?
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's that's coming up in less than a month with Game Changer Wrestling. So um, I've been in touch with those guys uh, for a few years. I even did um, some work for them. I did a, a vignette for them, Moxley and Josh Barnett. Um, match that was delayed a couple of times, but, but yeah, Brett, um, Brett has very generously offered this to me. Um, I think the last couple of years, but this is the first time it's worked out. Um, and so, yeah, we, uh, we're going to do that early June
2: you're going in along with a posthumous induction for the great supreme formerly of xpw and many other places as well uh, as well as deathmatch builder gene and i think gene is a real unsung hero to a lot of people like he's like a like the sort of the doc emmett brown of Deathmatches in a way
1: oh like, man yeah he's been at it for a long time he helps build the contraptions for a lot of the you know the biggest and craziest Deathmatches matches you've seen and so i've I've known him. I mean, he was he was around back when I was in wrestling, and I've I've seen him since and connected with him here and there. And so he absolutely deserves it.
2: Do you have a favorite gene creation?
1: Boy, that's a good question. Um <laughs> it's, There's been some it's good a, ones. It's it's a it's a demented question, too, because he's designing things that hurt people. Um <laughs> I uh I assume he was involved in oh gosh is it cage of death five um i want to say that was a pretty insane one and i believe that's the one where they had a separate ring with a million thumbtacks and czw they did a thumbtack thumbtack drive it was madness but um, i wasn't there for that but i'll just say like that um that show had some some wild contraptions and Um, I was
2: impressed with it, yeah. Uh, He is an unsung hero. He will be sung uh, on June the 5th. Uh, But but we're going to get into loads of other stuff today uh, with yourself, Nick. But we're going to send you on a desert island. That's kind of the whole premise of why we're here today, sir. And you're going to go with a wrestling DVD containing three matches that you'll happily watch whilst you are there. What would you like your first match to be?
1: My first pick, I'll go chronologically, would be Megumi Kudo. Megumi Kudo. And Shark Tsuchiya FMW. Now they've done they've done some wild, uh, multiple um, no rope bar wire matches and exploding matches. Um, and so I'd probably say her retirement match. Um, I believe it was um, April of '97. Um, but I'll tell you, like if you're gonna if you're gonna go out like that was. Uh, I wish I had a final match that was that well put together it is just the big moments and the visuals but the fact that two women um, were pulling off matches like this, this is just so astounding to me. And I give her all the credit. I don't think she was even uh, 30 and she decided, you know what, I've had enough of this and decided to get out before she completely destroyed herself. But um, they have a lot of brilliant work in FMW, but that um their exploding barbed wire matches are just still a, a standard, especially for women, women's hardcore wrestling.
2: Can you remember where you were when you first saw that match?
1: Man, um I feel like I was gosh this is going back. Um malls, shopping malls used to have wrestling kiosks um in the US anyway and you know VHS tapes and I I remember seeing um, I feel like I saw that, you know, as as uh um a late teen, you know, teenager walking through a mall, um, catching that. And it's just so striking because she's a gorgeous woman. You know, she did modeling, uh, Megumi Kudo. And, um, I just remember the visuals catching me such a beautiful woman involved in these massive explosions, which, which by the way, if I could add, um, she's married to bad boy Hito. Um, he was a former FMW wrestler. I've been on a couple shows with him. Um, but I, I had no idea he was married to her. Um, so I was living in Japan a few years ago, and, and he was running a bar in Tokyo. And I, I went and I caught up with him, and we talked for probably an hour. And I didn't learn until afterwards he was married to her. And I was just like, oh, man. Like I, I mean, I don't know what I would have asked him. I probably just would have marked out, like, I can't believe you're married to Megumi Kudo. So that was so pretty did, cool.
2: you, did you never get the meeting uh, with her? With, uh
1: with her no yeah. I've never I never I never met her um, I wasn't at a ton of wrestling shows um, I did I'd stop by and see the big Japan guys and, and I actually trained a few times I would just go to the um, I think it was the zero one gym um, you know I just go roll around and stuff like that but I I never crossed paths with her um, but yeah all the respect in the world she was. She was phenomenal, and she she actually came back and did a match last year. Um, I didn't see it, but you know she's she's still healthy, which is awesome to hear. You know,
2: it is funny when you when a lot of conversations uh, about women's wrestling have happened over the last couple of years, and uh, you know, there's talk of like the you know, the women's revolution and and all of that has, has has been through. We've had our first WrestleMania headline by women's matches, but it was it was in Japan. They were decades ahead with all that. I'm
1: telling you, and you know something—rings used to be a lot stiffer. And it's funny because it's the—it's sometimes it's the smaller things that people don't like. A power bomb can be one of the most devastating moves. I mean, barbed wire can be not so bad, you know. Light tubes can be not so bad, but I, I see even some of these power bombs in these older rings, and it just makes me cringe because I can see how stiff those rings are. I mean, these women, they, yeah, they were fearless and they were athletically at least equal to men. Um, and to prove a point, oftentimes they work harder. Um, so, yeah, nothing but respect for
2: the women in Japan, I'll tell you. Have you kept up with the uh, FMW news over the last week or so? It's, I saw it's, that. It's coming back, Nick. It's coming back. Oh, man. So,
1: yeah, they, of course, tapped. Um, Onita, or got him to uh, promote the, the Mox and um, Omega explosion match. And which, you know, <laughs> very, very sad. I mean, I, I love that match. It was just the unfortunate malfunction with the explosion at the end it was so embarrassing. And, and so I, I understand, like it must've gotten Onita's gears turning and the dude is, he must be what pushing 70. I don't know. And now he's going to try and, Show everybody what a real explosion match is, and I, I mean, of course, like on the surface, I get excited, but I'm like, oh gosh, like is this, <laughs> is this a good idea, you know? So he's gonna try and show people what real explosions are, and um, it it is exciting. Like I'll I'll watch it for sure, but it ma- it makes me worry a little bit, you know.
2: Yeah. I think it's Anita in there as well. It's like we, we 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 love the guy to death. It's like mate, just just go go have a lie down. It's all right. It's all right. Don't don't do a exploding death match. Just have a lie down. It's fine. It's yeah. it, but that style of wrestling, sort of that the the edgier style of wrestling, is something that's always been a part of your of your of your fandom of wrestling because it was ECW you first that first got you into wrestling, wasn't it?
1: It was um, and. You know, I, I still think ECW was the pinnacle of um, the right combination of, of elements and, and the right amount of violence. Like I, the, the stuff that I was involved in like went so far beyond that. Um, ECW is what got me into wrestling. I was not a fan before ECW. Um, and so that was really what I was, my dream was to work for ECW. But right as I was coming up in wrestling, they folded, they went under. Um, and that's actually a good transition to the second match. If I could, uh, list that, um, second match pick, um, I was going to say Mike awesome and Masato Tanaka. And that's, that's another pair. I mean, just pick any, any, anything they've done. I, I love to watch it going back to, again, FMW in Japan. Um, but I just like, if I had to grab one, you know, um, when ECW was revived and they did the the one night stand uh pay-per-view in 2005.
0: This is one of the toughest men I've ever seen in a Japanese ring. He's got the scars to prove it. He's been through hell and he's got the scars to prove it. Let me tell
2: you about this Judas, Mike Austin, and that's a perfect word. He's a Judas. First,
0: let's give him his due. He's a tremendous wrestler,
2: Um, a powerhouse. He's a a rat's ass. All right, you know what? He took a $250 check up front and a $250,000 check up front and a $1,000,000 contract to walk out of ECW and preach his contract. Champion, And the only reason he didn't throw down our belt on TV is because of a federal injunction. He's a piece of crap. He's a sellout. He's got no loyalty. He's a Judas. He's what he is. And I hope for Sato Tanaka takes his damned head off with the dang ball. Uh,
0: ladies and gentlemen, we've just seen our second shoot promo of the evening. Rob Van Dam followed up by a Joey Styles. The superstars seem to be grudgingly enjoying themselves.
2: I <laughs> well, I think Bradshaw is cheering on Mike Awesome because Mike Awesome lifted his leg and whizzed on ECW when he took the payoff.
1: There was so much passion. That card was phenomenal. And I think it was just the fans and the wrestlers that missed that unique, wild energy of ECW. Um, and so top to bottom, that card was phenomenal, but, but those guys, you could tell really put their heart into that match. And I mean, like tornado DDT off the top, through a table, running power bombs off the apron, the chair shots. Yeah. Every, every chair shot you ever see from those guys makes me cringe. I mean, these big dudes hit tables and they just explode. It's just these two beasts, you know? Um, so I, I just. I really feel like that's the pinnacle of hardcore wrestling and the right amount of violence and just hard hitting athleticism. And, and so, yeah, I I really, really admire
2: those guys. What's great about that match as well um, is it was part of one night standard it was just after there'd been some back and forth on the mic, I believe, between like the Raw and Smackdown guys up in the balcony. And Ooh. and then, so then you have that and then it transitions into Tanaka versus Awesome. And every so often you catch the, the Raw and Smackdown guys just agog watching these two absolutely tear it up. And it feels like it feels like the, the old the proper old school ecw yeah. uh, just like that energy and that and that effort in there and you said there as well that you, you missed ecw cuz it was the company you wanted to work for and you you just missed them uh, how close did you th- do you feel like you came to actually being a part of it cuz I, I don't know whether you'd had conversations uh, with guys there and tried to come in or whether the gap was just too narrow
1: I don't think I came close, um, but if they continued working, I mean, I'd say 2001 is right when I started really getting some recognition and that's the year that they went under. So, you know, I don't think it was that close. Um, It it was tough though, because I also like, I had a dream of wrestling um, Hayabusa in Japan. He he is my all time favorite wrestler, Hayabusa. And um, I feel like I could have made that happen eventually Um, But I I believe 2001 is the same year that he broke his neck and paralyzed himself. And so um, that was, that was hard. I mean, my, my, my goals and my hopes were evolving in my short wrestling career. So it wasn't just like, you know, I don't want to just look at it selfishly that those things um, went under, but I would just say like personally things that I loved so much and um, seeing them, you know, end like that was very tough and just Crushing to see that happen to Hayabusa, you know
2: it was it was cut so, a career that was cut so short, devastatingly short um and you felt like there was so much more still to give and when you see something like that go down and as you're getting into it, does it kind of put any doubts on whether or not you're you're heading in the right direction? Are you talking about
1: me and my career
2: yeah, the wrestling career the wrestling career yes well
1: Hayabusa actually he his career wasn't that short. Um, he had more than a decade of, I mean, really hitting it hard and, um, boy, his body, like I, I've heard, so I didn't even realize this, um, until semi recently, but I believe he had to have reconstructive surgery on both of his elbows. Um, and he was, he was hitting four fifties and sometimes you over rotate and your, your elbows hit the mat. I don't know if it was from that, but like, that dude had been through so much. And so he was into his thirties. That was he like 33 or something, I think when he broke his neck. Um, But yeah, my, my plans for my career, and a lot of people are shocked when they hear this, my goal was only to wrestle for one to two years. Um, I didn't want to have a long career. I was taking a break after high school. I wanted to eventually go to um, art school, which I ended up doing at the same time with wrestling, which was, so hard to do both, but, um, I ended up wrestling closer to five years. Um, but I, I do say we'll get into this later, but I, I, worry if, if like upcoming hardcore guys look to me as like, a, uh, an example of, of how to do it because like, I wasn't laying the groundwork for a long career. Like I wanted to Burn the candle at both ends and get out. That was always my plan. So
2: it feels like you wrestled for longer than five years. Because because when people when you, when I realised that you'd only did it for five years, it genuinely floored me. Because I was like, it fe- it felt like you did thirty five, even though even that had been impossible at your age. But it's the idea that it, you you covered so much ground in such a short amount of time, and that is probably as as you say, like. People inspired by you, not just by what you did, but probably by the fact that it was you—you you live incredibly fast and incredibly hard for five years, and then you go. Um But when it came to sort of getting into it and finding your your flow, ECW had gone, so that was one of your big things. You were, as you say, you were sort of manoeuvring your, your 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 goals, and you ended up as part of CCW where you did some amazing work. Um, describe your first meeting with John Zandig, and what were your first impressions?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say one more thing. Like nobody ever gets what they want out of wrestling. And I think it's important to come to terms with this because we come into it, we see something that inspires us. We go after that. And I feel like it's never quite how you imagine it to be. And so it's, it's important to kind of switch your narrative and your story and um and be okay with that because you know like I say I don't think anybody ever gets exactly what they want out of wrestling but um (laughs) but to, to answer your question Zandig um yeah well I was uh just starting to do some wild stuff um outside of CZW and um I was on a show with uh Trent Acid and Johnny Cashmere and um Johnny saw some of my stuff and and uh I made a VHS tape and he gave it to Zandig and Zandig looked at it and yeah, he brought me in and gave me a shot. So, um, so yeah, he's not a man of many words, Zandig, when you meet him, and it's kind of like, show me what you got, impress me. And unfortunately the way you impress him and win his respect is show that you're fearless and that you're not afraid to get hurt. That's what he is looking for, you know?
2: You've you've said in, in, in interviews and you've, you've said in in other mediums as well that, like Zandig very much sort of pushed you um, and you, everything you did was of your volition, but very much he was the one of, you know, why don't you jump off that truck? We're going to do this as the finish. Um, that, that was the case, wasn't it? I think he very much kind of pushed you to push you beyond a limit that you thought you might've had.
1: Yeah. And I, I was, I was somebody seeking some wild and some, you know, risky wrestling. And then you've got somebody who's going to rather than rein it in and say, here's a smarter path. I'm the promoter. We're going to milk the most out of this. We can, we're going to stretch it out over a period of months or a year and build up to this. It was more just like, we're going to go for maximum carnage each show, you know? And I wasn't somebody who was going to say no. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I came to realize like, this is a bad recipe. This is a bad environment. Like if I don't get out of this, you know, we're not only is nobody saying no to me, they're saying here, here, why don't you, why don't you go a little bit higher? Why don't you do this? And so, yeah, it, bad, bad combination, you know?
2: Talk us like through the process of, of, of going into a death match, sort of the mental mindset that you, you lock into. And especially as you said there, that, at the back of your mind, you're always going, no, this, this needs to change this, this can't go on forever, but we've got the tournament of death. So off we go. Talk me through the process, the mental process of of gearing up for, for a death match.
1: There's a lot of anxiety. Um, Oftentimes I'll have a mental list of the three big risks that I'm going to take. And, um, and it's weighing on you. And so, after each big spot happens in a match, it's this incredible relief. Okay. I I survived that. I survived this. And then after the match is over, it's just like such an incredible feeling of relief, you know? Um, but it is a dysfunctional mindset. And I can remember so many times sitting on an airplane thinking in two days, I'm going to be on a plane coming back home. I'm guaranteed to be hurt. I might have stitches in my back. Maybe I'll have some fractured bones, guaranteed. And it's in those moments where you start to, I mean, like when you're young, uh, you know, early 20s, you're invincible. And like, it's it's fun to take some of these risks, but it's like they start to pile up the injuries and you start to get tired of being in pain all the time. Or you try to work out and your, your back starts bleeding or whatever. And so you have to wait till your cuts heal. So... <laughs> I became more and more aware of the dysfunction or the fact that this is just not worth it to an extent. It's incredibly fun for a short season, but then it just becomes way too many problems you have to deal with, you know?
2: I think a lot of people who do what you did sort of talk about the addiction of it all. Mm -hmm. Was that the case with you or were you over it near the end?
1: It's, it's an addiction for sure. Um, but I always had a bunch of other things, um, going in my life. And so it can't be the core. It can't be the foundation of your life. Um, it can't, it will ruin your life period. And all of us, all of us are looking for happiness, contentment. Um, yeah. And thrills, you know, we want a well-rounded life. And so I just believe it's something that's, can be good for a short season, but you start to get your warning signs. You start to have some really scary injuries or moments. And that's when you need to say like, I, I, that's enough. And that, that's important, you know?
2: And what was that moment for you? Obviously, as, as we've said in the back of your mind, it's like this, this can't go on. This can't go on. But what was the definitive moment for you where you went, that's it now I'm drawing a line under this. And that's the end.
1: I wouldn't say, well, I already knew going into Tournament of Death 2 that um, that was my final performance. The fall off the roof didn't end my career. Um, I've discussed this, Pe- people need to keep reminding people. I, I was booked in a death match tournament um, the following week for Ian Rotten, King of the Death Matches. I called him up a week in advance and I said, Ian, this has been a very tough decision, but I'm sure of it, I'm gonna retire after Tournament of Death 2 and I had to pull out and he was, he was furious. Um, so I knew ahead of time, um, that said, I had some very scary injuries at tournament of death Two. It was the first time I was completely unconscious in a match. Um, but the decision to quit wasn't based on injuries. Um, like I say, I always knew it was going to be a short career, but I had a couple of spinal injuries that were concerning and scary and you know, i just feeling it day to day in my back, and just knowing like this is uh, this is not good, you know.
2: Um, you, you flash forward about a decade after that, I think it might have been. It was um, at another cage. It was it was another cage of death show, and you turn up at the very end, wonderful surprise, big reaction. You fly up the cage like you've not missed a beat sending fly off the top it was a great moment any itch there or was that a kind of acid moment where you went'm I'm, I'm all right with this I'm enjoying this moment but there's was there ever a little itch to to, to go again
1: I um, I wanted to be there for Rory little mondo's uh, final match as that character um, and um, but uh, due to circumstances, they, Necro Butcher had to cancel being in the cage of death last minute. And so DJ Hyde, um, the owner of CZW, told me, look, I need you to fill in. And I said, well, obviously, I'm not going back to do a whole cage of death. If you want me to make an appearance, help a team win, whatever, I'll do that. And so, you know, that was the compromise there. Um, I don't want to sound unappreciative, but... Standing up on top of that cage and looking around, the thought occurred to me, this is so small. And again, that sounds unappreciative, but I'm just saying, I mean, it was a packed house. It was a really good house, but it's just like, it was almost like zooming out and looking down, like risking risking our lives just for a couple of Moments, you know, to get a crowd to chant or whatever, like that's I had that feeling. And so, no, it wasn't like uh, as I got my gear on that day, as I got ready for that match. I started coming up with ideas, honestly, like I started thinking, oh, man, like it'd be fun to do something off the cage and down through sheets of glass or whatever. But so like I've I've got this daredevil hunger for you know excitement in me. So like the capacity was still there. Um, but at the same time I was able to look at it and just say like, this is just a small niche, little phenomenon. You know, it's not, it's not big. So, yeah.
2: And as you say, you had other things going on and it's important to have other things going on and you've, you have carved very much a career for yourself uh, as a filmmaker. Who are some of your early inspirations as a filmmaker?
1: Um, early inspirations. Uh, well, um, Right now, David Fincher is the person I look to the most, um, his, his style, just how smooth he is with the camera, um, how confident he is with the camera. Um, and I'd say Ridley Scott, um, you know, especially it's, it's funny because, uh, he directed alien and blade runner late seventies, early eighties. And those are, those are both, uh, probably top five, top 10 movies for me. I I oftentimes say Alien is my favorite film of all time, the original Alien. And then he went uh, so many years without doing sci-fi again, but just the world building and the environment building. And wow, very, very inspiring to me.
2: Uh, I'm I'm currently talking to you from um, from the northeast of England, uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and Ridley Scott is from just down the road. Uh, up here fun that is bang. so
1: that is so fun to hear yeah and i know they've shot a lot of the alien stuff up, including i think uh some of the prometheus and the um alien covenant they build those what is it is it the pinewood uh, i think they shoot those at pinewood there they, they do those
2: in pinewood but that opening shot a blade runner uh mm-hmm. is is a town called middlesbrough which is just over the way from where we are right now and, and it looks I, like that
1: that's that's where they shot that yeah that's incredible because I thought they shot, gosh, was that all in the UK? I thought they shot some of that in in LA, but I guess it
2: was, but there was that, uh, but there was an opening shot in that film, which is like the sort of, sort of the the dark future. And it's, uh, it's, it's in the Northeast of England. That is so
1: cool to (laughs) hear. It's not
2: all that bad. There are nice parts. (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, I I visited the UK. I actually uh, premiered a film there um, in 2016 and I, I loved London, man. I I had a blast. Yeah.
2: Where did you go in London? Can you remember?
1: Well, you know, um, this is, this is kind of funny, but I, I always wanted to go to the British museum and see the, the Egyptian artifacts and the Rosetta stone and all that. And I went a couple of times. Um, but I had a friend just take me all around, all around London. Um, and I got to just kind of see what the pub scene is like there. And, um, but you know what? I, I got to see the, the Harry Potter play, and that was incredible. Um, I didn't oh, know I nice. could get tickets for that. And I
2: You did well, because <laughs> they're just, impossible to get tickets that's, for.
1: That's what I was told. And But I just walked up to the will call or whatever, and I just kind of hopeless, but I was like, do you have any single tickets for tomorrow? And the fact that I was asking for singles, she looked and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah we do and I, I was like what and so I got to go see that and, and that was a that was a blast yeah. did you
2: have secret on your forehead though that might have helped you get a ticket a little bit easier <laughs> yes, I don't think just, that just, just take what you want just of course you can that, that might have gotten me arrested <laughs> <laughs>
0: pretty litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness it's the world's smartest kitty litter go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
2: nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt
0: until you tried it on same goes for your health care Here to say thanks. Tom Moxley has deployed on
1: this squared circle at the MGM Grand Garden Arena with a twinkle in his eye, and Jericho is tested.
0: And the lightning of John Moxley! Living a smart! The dead old money! The referee's down!
1: Moxley carving a path of destruction here at all! Elite wrestling!
2: There's a great wrestling secret that you kept in 2019. Um, which which I'd love to touch on before we get to talking about the trade and other stuff. Um so it was a video that that really set the wrestling world on fire which was it's, it's kind of it's the john moxley prison break video mm. uh, how did you end up working with john moxley on that
1: well he um you know what he came up in czw almost like right after i left um he came to czw and he's wrestled in tournament of death like i have and so you know a lot of things overlapping so we knew of each other um, I'm going to try and, you know, go through this quickly. So I came back to that cage of death show that we mentioned in 2013 after that RF video did a shoot interview with me, um, like three to four hour shoot interview. They edited maybe like a, I don't know, 10 minute preview, put it on YouTube on that preview. I mentioned, I'm thinking about making a film to address the why behind Deathmatch wrestling. Um, at least from my perspective, Moxley, then Dean Ambrose saw this. Um, he, he watches a lot. You'd be surprised. He keeps his eye on everything. He's very interested in the Indies. Still, he reached out to me and he said, I want to see that film. Um, if there's anything I can do to help you get that done, let me know. Um, and I didn't want to ask him for money, but at the time I was looking to pull off some, some pretty complex shoots. And he asked me again do not hesitate, like if there's anything I can do. Dude ended up helping me fund um, some of the shoots for that. It was incredible. Um, He really liked the end result of that film. It's called The Trade, you can see it on Amazon, um, Amazon Prime. Um, So fast forward, you know, he's through his contract with uh, WWE, he's been there eight years, um, deciding not to renew. And he reached out to me and just said, you know, basically, Here's what I'm looking for. Can you do that? And I said, yeah, I can. And so we silently put together um, that video, which he dropped uh, on, or shortly after midnight when his contract expired with WWE. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that.
2: Um, how much of the creative was John and how much of the creative was you?
1: John, um, when the dude gets an idea, you should listen because when I realized he's just going to stay silent and let everybody assume he's tired. He's broken down. Maybe he's going to retire. He was very clever because he just let everybody assume that. Um, And then when I heard he wants to like drop an energetic trailer, as soon as his contract expires, like this is brilliant. Um, So that, that idea was fantastic. Um, But aside from that, he, he'll get visuals, real simple visuals. Um, and so he dropped a couple of key visuals to me. And so I basically just take those and expand them into a narrative. So um, it'll be very simple. And he just admits like, uh, I'm a meat and potatoes idea guy, technical execution, that's all up to you. So he would do that. He would, he would drop visuals that he wants and then I would weave them into a, a story, you know?
2: I think you challenged him on the one point because I remember hearing that Moxie didn't want his face in the video at all. And you are like, oh, you've, you've, you've got to be seen at some point. You pushed for that, didn't you?
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he thought it would be good if he concealed his face all the way through it. And, and I understood what he was doing. But, but at the same time, that's, that's how we connect with, with actors. We need to see their face. We, it, it needs to be in there. And so um, he, he paid for the thing. And so I told him, it's going to be your call but can we please just get this really defining shot of you at the end and and we did and uh, yeah he he liked it so uh,
2: he called you back and uh, you ended up doing uh, a similar thing for john's new japan uh, debut and you had you had too much fun making red herrings for that i'm just saying you had too much fun it, little things like the union jack in there swapping out Jack Daniels and giving Moxie tequila, throwing everybody off the scent. What what did you do differently with that, with the, with the Time's Up New Japan video? And how did you come at that differently creatively to, as opposed to the Prison Break video?
1: Both of us were pretty concerned because that only dropped like, I don't know, a week after the first one. We were concerned that it was going to be too obvious. And so we put a little bit too much work into uh, covering everything up and assuming... Um, that people were going to know it was us. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, John said, since we're not going to show my face, can you film with the body double? And so that's not John in the video.
2: What? No. Yeah.
1: And so I put out, we we filmed that in Los Angeles. And so I put out a casting call, uh, for John's specs. You know, we found somebody who matches his build and, um, You know, the dude gets very excited about producing content. But keep in mind, he was coming off like almost 300, like, what, 280, 300 shows a year with WWE. I mean, just exhausting, traveling nonstop. And so he, you know, in that instance, he was just like, oh, yeah, I trust you guys. If you can shoot it with the body double, let's just do that. And so, yeah, we got somebody else to to be in there
2: because that prison break one that was shot whilst he was still on the road if I remember correctly so like he was flying in doing the shoot and then having to, to bugger off again to get back up the other yeah, end he's
1: he's in Vegas and so it's it's only like uh what five hour drive to LA and so um it was wicked I mean his 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 weekend is in the middle of the week when he was with WWE and so that was his entire weekend was coming out and then like the one day was like a 13, 14 hour shoot. Um, and uh, so he, yeah, the guy works hard and he had to drive back and immediately like sleep a couple hours and get on a plane and go to the next, uh, next town, you know.
2: When are we seeing a, a Nick Mondo directed John Moxley action film?
1: Dude, we've been, we've been working hard on that. And, um, oh, I mean, 2020 was such a rough year for everybody. Uh, we had a deal. Um, had a, I, I signed a one-year option agreement because, cause, yeah, we've got a script that's complete. That was to be shot um, last year. Um, a, a good portion of this film uh, was going to be filmed in Malta, the small island country of Malta, just what, south and west of you. Um, but uh, COVID torpedoed that um, half the funding was going to come from Malta. And so we've had to start from scratch. Um, I'm still fighting for that thing like crazy. And as a matter of fact, like I've got three different production companies um, I'm talking to right now that are considering it. Um, I, I don't have anything signed. So like, it's still, it's still, you know, I'm open to, um, if anybody's listening to this, like I'm open, but like confidence is coming back post COVID now. And so, I'm living in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and I, we can talk about it, but I just finished season one of a, a show I've been working on, and so, like, we've, we've got the system down for shooting during COVID. People are getting vaccinated, and so I'm still hopeful um, this thing is going to happen. But, yeah, we both want this very much, so.
2: Did you say that we can or we can't talk about it?
1: We the can talk about it, yeah.
2: What's the show? So there's a new
1: uh, drama action film called Heels, um, it stars, of course. it stars, Stephen Amel. Um, he played, uh, arrow, um, the, the Marvel, uh, or I think it's a Marvel show arrow for like, uh, seven years. And yeah, he stars and, um, um, Alexander Ludwig, I believe is his brother. Um, they, they play these, uh, a couple of Georgia boys who are trying to revive a wrestling federation that their dad used to run back in the day. Um, These guys are both kind of unhappy with their, you know, blue collar um, lives. And so they're trying to reclaim some glory. And so it's a very interesting, um, very interesting approach because it's not treating wrestling like it's real, like people are really fighting in the ring. It's, you know, admitting the fact that, Hey, we're, we're calling spots and we're we're out there working together, but then real drama happens. Oh, this guy, stiff me and i'm gonna hurt him back or oh there's jealousy from this other rival um company and so it's a very real approach to indie wrestling um but anyway I, i've been working for the the stunt team on that show um a guy named luke hawks who boy if you don't know who he is um, i mean he fought the rock in one of the fast and the furious movies and uh in the movie logan um hugh jackman killed him as wolverine put blades through his head and He's a he's a wrestler as well, and he does a lot of um, stunt work and acting and stuff like that. But but yeah, he put together the stunt team, and so I got to work on on that show.
2: I think it's it's great to see. I've I've heard stuff about heels. I'm I'm looking forward to to, to seeing it because I think after Glow came out, I think the world was kind of a bit more open to more stuff about wrestling in the in a mainstream capacity that doesn't so much make out that it's that it's all above the you know it kind of gets you it lets you in behind the secret behind the magician's curtain a little bit and because some of the best stories as as we found out doing this show are told behind the curtain and it's great that that show is coming to life was was there a highlight from working on that show for you or a moment that you enjoyed particularly
1: oh boy um you want to know what's funny like <laughs> I, it took me a lot of hustling and a lot of, um, uh, I was in Los Angeles before I lived here in Atlanta and it took me like two and a half years of hustling to find out a way to join SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. And you can't really get into stunts until you're SAG. But like stunts pay so well and, you know, it's not nearly as risky as, as wrestling because, you know, number one, like if you get hurt, the production is going to have to pay for it. And number two, the the stunt coordinator is going to look bad. And so it's in their best interest to keep you safe. And so anyway, like, um, I'm in, I'm in a few scenes like in my, in my Nick Mondo character, I, I submitted the look and they said, yeah, that's cool. You can, you can be this character. Um, I'm just like a background guy and I'll do stunts here and there. Um, and it's nothing major, but, but, uh, having this gig that's so easy and so cushy and pays so well and they feed you so well. I just, I said to one of the guys, I was coming out of my trailer, my old trailer. And I just said like, this is, this is redemptive. Like, this is like a redemption. I'm like, like I I normally put on this gear and I get hurt so bad and I get paid nothing. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is just like, I don't know. Like I, I feel like things are coming back to me. Um, that I lost as a result of wrestling wrestling gave me a lot, but it took a lot away and it doesn't pay anything, you know, indie deathmatch wrestling. And so just the overall experience of like, wow, this, this character is actually bringing me some good things was pretty, was pretty exciting.
2: You go into all of that, into like the, the the trials and the tribulations that come from being an indie deathmatch wrestler in the trade, which is the documentary we mentioned. Now it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, if you have a Prime subscription, it's free. It's an amazing watch. It is beautifully shot. There's and with that, you talk you talk about how um, you associate your deathmatch career with with having a guilt complex. Can you talk a little bit more on that?
1: Yeah. Well. Um my, my film gets into this in more of a surreal way, but I kind of had some messed up, um, perceptions of the crucifixion of Christ, um, as a teenager coming up and, um, got that twisted around in my head and somehow a message of guilt came through to me, which, um, I don't think is accurate. I don't, I don't think, uh, it's it's an accurate way to look at the crucifixion, but like I I I sat in and I actually sat in a church message that was very guilt laden and it, it 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 sunk in and it affected me. The notion of essentially somebody else took your beating or somebody else took your punishment, and at that point I became obsessed with uh, with self self harm, you know, and um, so. So that was one of the motivating factors behind what I was doing in the ring was like, you know, okay, if somebody else was tortured and shed blood on my behalf, like I don't accept that. And um, I'm going to try and work out my own salvation, so to speak. It didn't take long before I realized like, okay, my, my thinking is really messed up here. And this isn't accurate. And this isn't bringing me any relief that I'm looking for. So. So getting kind of deep here, but I'm just saying like, these were the weird psychological mindset that I was kind of going through in my teen years and early twenties. So.
2: Have you overcome that guilt now?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I overcame that. And I realized like, you know, I don't think that's the message of Christ dying on the cross. I think it's a message of love and of grace and of forgiveness. Um, and it, it should never be guilt. Um, I don't think guilt is, is involved in that at all. And so, um, it was just like, as I was going down that road, I could sense how unhealthy this is and how unhappy it is and how much anxiety and misery. And, and it's just all spiraling and getting worse and worse. Like the, the irony was like my, my notoriety was, was getting higher and higher and people are praising me and, and loving me for this stuff. And I'm just like getting more and more miserable inside and i'm just like I, I need to stop and hit the reset button because this is not working you know
2: the movie builds to this 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 incredible scene at the end where it's 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 matt burns and sick nick mondo having this this conversation and it leads to, it feels like nick mondo's trying to take back control and matt's trying to rest control back and it ends with you running towards the cliff you stop Sick Nick Mondo dives over the top with the sound of the crowd behind him. How cathartic an experience was it writing that scene? That felt cathartic to watch.
1: Yeah, I put a lot of my heart and I put a lot of my uh, passion and my feelings into that. Um, and so I'm not saying I'm somebody who's like hearing voices and, um, you know, like actually audibly hearing voices, but like the, these, this dialogue has gone on in my head for a long time of like wanting to, like, like I say, I have this capacity for risk and for danger. It's exciting stuff. Um, but my courage is beyond what's accurate. Um, I could still come back and like, if I get near a wrestling ring, this is why stunts are so good for me because other people are going to tell me, no, no, we're going to dial this back. We're going to do it safely. I I get pumped up. Like I like, I like the feeling of, of surviving something dangerous and I've removed the desire for self harm. And so it's much healthier now, you know? Um, But, but yeah, creating that scene was, was very true uh, to things that I've dealt with also getting over low self-worth. And, you know, it was an internal dialogue going on in that scene, that character telling me like, this is all you are. This is what you are. You're violent. You're, you're just, you know, this madman and this is, this is what you're meant to be. And um, so, these are all things that I've dealt with very, very vividly in my mind.
2: I can't recommend the film enough. If if people are looking for a wrestling film, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's 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 beautifully put together, and it tells, uh, and it, it tells your amazing story. Uh, in terms of films and stuff, uh, obviously, the the John Moxley action movie in Malta, from Malta with love, we will call it, um, is in a weird place because of COVID. Do you have any other sort of movie projects that you're working on at the same time?
1: I have. Um... Yeah, so I have multiple scripts going and I've got another one I'm getting bites on. Actually, it was crazy last night, um, late last night. Like, I, um, Los Angeles is three hours earlier than I am here, but like uh, after midnight, I'm sending around a TV pilot, which I've worked on on and off over the years, and, but I just picked it up again. I'll watch things that make me think, oh, okay, now's the right time for this. And so I've, I've brushed this off and sent it out. Um, but there's a producer who read it and he said, this has, this is a little bit more um, essentially what I'm writing is a, it's a TV pilot. That's, it has a lot of um, black mirror in it. Um, But rather than, rather than being an anthology where each episode is its own story, this is an ongoing series and it's centered around a dating service that incorporates artificial intelligence. Um, And it, it, it creates so many different possibilities. Um, before you, before you, um, talk to somebody that you're paired up with, it it generates an artificial intelligence version of that person and you can test drive them. Um, but there's, there's a device that you actually hook up to your neck and it can, it can stimulate artificially, um, emotions, feelings, even like a sexual response and, um, you can, with enough data, you can generate a lost loved one with this thing. Um, there is a Black episode that's similar to this, uh, which I watched recently. Um, is it the celebrity... one where they've
2: got the people, you've got the couples, and you think that you're following the couple on like a dating retreat, but, spoiler for Black Mirror, it turns out that they're all algorithms and they're trying to meet the right person and then at the end of the episode it peels out and we see the couple walking into the bar for the first time was that there are
1: there are multiple episodes that have some of these themes but there's Mm -hmm. one um forgive me i forget the actor's name but he starred in ex machina um but this black mirror episode starts out and um there's a young couple the husband gets in a car crash and dies and essentially um there's technology where she can get an art and you know a a fake body and put a digital representation of him in that and so have like a version of her husband back um so anyway that's uh it's i really recommend that one i think it's called like be back soon or um, does
2: she does she put him does she put him in the teddy bear or i might be thinking of a different episode (laughs)
1: Not in a teddy bear. Um, It's, she actually gets a body um, like a, you know, latex body shipped to her and it's really creepy. She puts it in the bathtub with ice, I think. And then, um, you know, the based on videos and everything of his presence. Yeah. What's, what's that called? Be back soon or something like that. Uh, Be right back. There you go. Yeah. um, It's a, it's a really good episode, but, but anyway, long story short, it's um, I have a series that's, that's more ongoing. It, It sets up technology along those lines. And the pilot introduces all these possibilities. Um, and I'm trying to create a groundwork where you could work with the writer's room to just bring them in and drop ideas and let's make this thing grow. But a, a producer read that last night and he's like, this is a good script. He said, it's, it's more AI than I typically do, but let me connect you with these guys who do that kind of material. Um, and so they're they're interested, but they said right right now we're working on another show but let's talk in two months um and so uh so i am i am pushing this thing around and getting some nibbles here and there um but if i could the my my priority is this film with mox um
2: yes it's called
1: it's called american blood that's the title of that film Oh um, uh,
2: it's 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 from malta with love not a flyer are we not are we not (laughs) going with from malta with love
1: (laughs) american blood from malta with
2: love yes it's the subtitle yes
1: I just, I can't help but think of of some of the
2: the cornier Bond movies. Oh, that's, that's kind of where I was at. But like Sean Connery. Yeah. What is it? (laughs) I think Mox do a better British accent than Connery.
1: (laughs) And he was, he was from our area. I'm Um, telling you though, like, I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say this, like talent just radiates from that guy and he needs a chance to not be seen as just a wrestler, I feel like he has a little bit of what Bruce Willis has with this sort of sly humor. And he has a lot of what Tom Hardy has with this confidence and this swagger and just the kind of manly man that we all wish we could be, you know what I mean? Just a guy's guy. And like, but I believe like give him the chance and like, people are going to say, wow, this guy is an actor. And um, like he, we need to, we need to give him that, that chance, man. I, I I hope to be a part of that, you know, uh,
2: with the stuff with John Moxley, did that lead to conversations with AEW? Cause I know you, you, have been doing some stuff with them and is that how it all began?
1: Yeah. Um, that, uh, uh, he actually told me like, um, yo, I think they're, they're going to be contacting you. Um, like your name's been floating around here. Um, but then I waited like, I don't know, a month or two this is before, um, TV started. And then I just reached out and, um, got a response. And so, yeah, I ended up working for them, um, right up until the pandemic started. Um, which dude, let me tell you, like, that's like the honeymoon period that, that was so wild. Like I went to almost all of the the TV shows up until they stopped traveling the pay-per-views. Um, man, what a joy to be there. Like for that energy, like that was, that was phenomenal, which actually, (laughs) We, I was gonna say we didn't we didn't mention the third match yet. Can I? Oh, can I?
2: oh yeah, go for it.
1: So this might be a surprise. Last year, uh, the Revolution pay per view, Orange Cassidy versus pack And the fans trying to psych up Orange Cassidy, the champ. He's gonna try.
0: He's gonna wrestle with the glasses
1: on, the sunglasses oh. on?
0: Hey, hey ref, little little detail. Yeah, those things you're looking at, you can't wear them in the ring. You know, Pac said, and I was standing here with the microphone, this is a joke. That this is a joke. I'm digging this, guys. I never thought I'd say that, but I am. Oh! Well, you know that didn't have to last long the bastard so with a, an emphatic shove to the king of sloth
1: style i don't think that uh pack likes the silliness as yes, he proceeds it to
0: draft me well he let it go on for a little while sounds cassidy in the ropes cassidy ducks under ducks under a second larry and cassidy comes back goes up and over the top of pack and a truck takes the bastard off his feet.
1: Squeeze again, and standing in Yeah, forget about Dick the Bruiser. this horse Cassidy time, by God. Yeah, I was working that event, and I was um, I was shooting slow motion uh, photography of that match. I was just ear to ear smiling, like you know, like I've seen a lot of wrestling, obviously, and, and I know the business through and through because I've been involved in it, and a lot of times I'm just like, okay, I get what we're doing. I've seen this. I've seen this. I've seen this. And Orange Cassidy, like he's, he's almost like an Andy Kaufman. um, What Andy Kaufman did with comedy, you know, he's so unique. And that match, like, you know, JR was kind of on the fence about him, not really convinced. And afterwards there's a statement. He's like, I have to say, I was wrong. This guy's an incredible talent. He's doing some new things. He's a fantastic athlete. And like, he blew me away, but like, I mean, his, his comedy gimmick is, is really funny, but that's obviously only going to take him so far. Um, But he knew this. So when, where's the on switch, that's what he needed. And and he knew this and he was waiting like that question, like when, when's it going to happen? And that's when it happened. And the way he would, you know, turn on and hit a ton of moves and then turn it off and get pack frustrated and everything was so clean, which pack has got to be one of the most impressive athletes in the entire. I, I just feel like I never see a mistake from that guy. Even if you're talking like a, a corkscrew shooting star pressed to the outside, just like, how do you hit everything so perfectly? That dude is such a phenomenal athlete, but like that combination was which, a lot of people probably figured it was a throwaway match and just a fun little breather from that card. A phenomenal card I, to me that stood out the most is just like, what a, what a moment, what a transition, what a,
2: But even in the story they told going into that, what was it was the fact that Orange Cassidy had had kind of carved his niece, this guy who just sort of who puts his hands in his pockets and just does the slow kicks. And it was and it works. It was so endearing. It was exciting. And the build to that match was that the the self of that match, it wasn't for a title. It wasn't for a streak. No, no, no. In this match, Orange Cassidy was going to try. And we were captivated by the idea of what's what's he gonna do when he tries? Like <laughs> we're just drawn into that. And the match we got was ace. There's a lovely moment where um I feel like it's I think it's about three quarters in. I'm sure pack corpses. Uh, at one point with Orange Cassidy as he rolls to the front of the ring and Pac is waiting there for him and they have this little look and Pac's off, you can't see Pac's face but I'm almost definite that he started corpsing because this moment just caught, caught him right at the right moment, right in the funny bone and, and then they just lit up from there. It was just, just a stunning match. Just so much fun. I mean,
1: how funny is that? That the advertisement is that he's going to try. Yeah. It's, it's just so funny and like, instead of just carrying on the, the joke, okay, he didn't try because he doesn't care, his character just exploded into something else. And, and then it's this exciting realization of, oh, when is he going to flip the on switch? And it's in that moment, I mean, people already knew it on the indies, but it's in that moment that the world realized this guy has crafted a complete, well-rounded, compelling character, and he can hold you in the palm of his hand. And yeah I mean there are moments I'd I'd watch him live um you know filming getting shots and even just watching seeing him standing on the apron while a tag match is going on he had me laughing just looking at how like the ring starts to shake and and he looks a little annoyed because the ring is shaking you know just like he's he's using every moment he it's just like I'd rather just stand here and be lazy and you know, somebody gets thrown into the corner and, he, and he's kind of like, you know, get out of my way. And the, the guy is just so funny. And it's, it's,
2: it's, a, it's a testament to um, what he's doing and how well he's doing it. It's a testament to his popularity within the company. And also it's a testament to AEW, the fact that... Uh, uh, we're recording this on uh, when on Thursday, the 13th, this is going to be going out just a couple of days ahead of AEW double or nothing Pack challenge pack and um, orange Cassidy, both challenging for the AEW world championship. Like what a testament to that match and those guys that they're yeah. they're both in the main event on Sunday.
1: There it's are, there crazy. are a couple of things that I, I just, I love to see that when styles so differently combined together and I, this is a completely different tangent. We won't get down, but like I was going to say, just watching the way that uh, Jurassic Express works together and uses the different strengths and everything. And those guys just respect each other so much. It's really fun just to watch the way they talk and, you know, watching Lucas Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt call spots together. Here's just this monster who has respect for this tiny little guy. And yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome, dude. That'd, that'd be great. And just watching how those guys fill in the gaps and know their own identities too. Like there have been some moments where those guys really get me excited too. And yeah, it's, it's fun stuff.
2: They give you so much for They get so much freedom to kind of create and be in AEW. And yeah. obviously, you know, you can, you can see you, you it doesn't always hit the right mark, but you know, it's, it's hitting the mark more often than not with what they're doing and, and how it's being received. And as you say, it's fun because wrestling should be fun. Oh, and it, it really should be. Should be and
1: fun. I, I think that's something uh, promoters always need to remember is like once people have made it to this big stage, it's for a reason. And it's because they know how to package themselves and they have really good ideas. And so that's why we saw, I mean, people were crying. People were so sad. Dean Ambrose is done. And the next day it's just like they're over it. No, mm. we're we're gonna see what happens when, when this guy John Moxley gets to put his ideas into things. And I think there are so many people that in wrestling that just know, just give me the chance, give me the spotlight. Um, you know, you don't take this polished talent, bring them into a company and then put them under a bunch of writers who are gonna say, Hmm, well here's how we should package you and, and this would be good for you. You know, let let these people create their passion is going to increase it's going to be infectious the fans are going to feel it and everybody's going to be excited you know
2: and right where can people go to find out all about your passions and your creativity sir
1: oh you know what Um, instagram nick mondo media is the best way um so yeah you know we're crawling out of this pandemic it's been brutal on everybody but like starting to see some exciting things come back and you know i hope to be announcing some some bigger things soon so yeah
2: genuinely as somebody that was, was watching you when you, you were throwing yourself into into pains of glass and getting to see now that you're, you're in such a wonderful place uh, mentally emotionally physically and still doing stuff you love it's been so nice to chat to you dick thank you so much for taking well, thank time. you
1: so much and and i was just gonna say we the game changer wrestling does have a big weekend coming up around june 5th um and they're going to be streaming those shows you can watch them if you want including the hall of fame um but we are going to be doing a—I um i think i can announce this a, a facebook live um signing and all sorts of prints and uh stuff that you can purchase brent lauderdale does this with game changer wrestling and and people love this because you can kind of chat and interact and ask questions but like yeah keep an eye on game changer wrestling because that's coming up and we have a, a bunch of really cool stuff we're going to be putting out there so We'll put uh, all yeah. the
2: links to everything uh, at cultaholic.com and in the description to this as well so people can, can find it nice and easy because uh, it's it, it Game Changer Wrestling, another, another great body that is doing really good stuff and sending you into the Deathmatch Hall of Fame.
1: Oh, yeah, and I was just going to say, like, I was at a show in Los Angeles, the Game Changer Wrestling did, and I never thought I was going to feel that same energy of ECW back in the 90s. They had it. Um, the place was packed. Um, I remember. I think Jungle Boy wrestled Jimmy Lloyd on that show. Um, Masato Tanaka wrestled Tony Deppen. That was incredible. Tanaka can still go. Um, Nick Gage wrestled uh, Jimmy Havoc, and Joey Janela wrestled uh, Dustin uh, No Legs on that show. Just a really funny uh, match. But No No Legs got hurt unfortunately in that. But but anyway, like the mixture of like older generation, new. It wasn't even their home crowd. It was Los Angeles and they were just wild um, popping for everything. So, yeah, Game Changer Wrestling, like, again, they, they've been hurt by this pandemic in the crowds, but like they've got the formula down, the right combination. Um, I'm not talking about this like they're, they've got a big death match tournament coming up, but like when they do their mixed bag shows, I feel like they hit that tone perfectly and exciting stuff, man.
2: And I think for, for someone like yourself who grew up with ECW, who was always passionate about that product, to, to connect them with GC, to connect GCW with ECW, uh, is a hell of a compliment to pay. Yeah, a hell I of a compliment.
1: I didn't think I'd feel that same energy again, but I'll just say like Brett knows the formula, and that's very exciting to see.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. And 365 day returns.
2: For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.